Hello and welcome to the first installment of the Looking In podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be looking into several different topics. Uh, we have racism in the United States, we have gun violence, shootings, and the AR-15 rifle, and we also have a recent incident uh, with North Korea and looking to open up communications and potentially a, a deal later on with President Donald Trump. So all of that today on the Looking In Podcast. Right, and the, the first topic of discussion, racism in the United States. Now, the idea of racism, of course, goes way back to slavery and then segregation and civil rights and Martin Luther King Jr. goes way back. And we've eliminated many, many of those barriers along the way. However, uh, there are some who still say that racism is alive and well in the United States still. One of those who's come up in the news lately is a man named Tundi Wei. He's in New Orleans, and he owns his own food cart there. And he's come into the news recently because he's uh, proposed an idea of charging white people more for the same food. Now, your first thoughts on this might be, that's illegal, that's racial discrimination. Now, that was my first thought as well. But it seems like he's found a way around that part of the system because he's not enforcing that. He's merely suggesting that they pay more. Uh, the example that the man himself provided was that any minority would pay $12 for a meal and white people would be asked to pay $30. And this is all done in the name of racial equity of pay. Uh, he takes the, I believe it was the median pay for black people and then the median pay for white people in New Orleans and that's where he's coming up with with this difference and what he says he's gonna do with the money that white people are providing is he's going to take that extra money he's gonna take the more than twice as much that a white individuals paying and then any minority regardless of your pay status just if you are a minority you can get that money you just ask for it, you get the money. Um, I don't know how effective this is in terms of actually fixing any sort of pay gap or problems, but I mean, he, he does inform people at the very least that there is a difference in median pay. Um, but I, I disagree in terms that this is working towards actually actively solving that problem. Well, one of my bigger fears on this issue in particular is that people will, will see a pay gap or they'll see an earnings gap is what the, the, you people are usually talking about when they talk about a pay gap or a wage gap they're really talking about earnings like what are people bringing in as a total of their income um, I, I can talk later about a the, the gender pay gap or the gender earnings gap and the issues with that is that it's not accounting for for differences in maternity leave of jobs of when people are leaving the workforce who's staying at home it's not accounting for that and th there's a similar problem it seems going across with a racial earnings gap and what one of the biggest factors that comes together to contribute to the the chances of you becoming impoverished or making less money is whether or not 
you your parent was a single mother you don't grow up with a father you have a single mother and African Americans are disproportionately affected by the issue of single motherhood and that's not a, a racist issue it's not white people discriminating against black people in that specific instance there are racist individuals out there and condemn them obviously condemn them but when looking for actual solutions and finding actual sources of the problem it's my opinion based on looking at the, the data and indicators of poverty that you want to start with giving these children growing up a stable foundation uh, Obama did a did a speech on this a couple of years back where he discussed the same issues. You know, it was back in 2008 in Chicago, the Apostolic Church of God in Chicago's South Side, where he said, uh, and I quote, "Too many fathers are MIA, too many fathers are AWOL, missing from too many lives and too many homes. They have abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men." And the foundations of our families are weaker because of it. End quote. And I could not agree more with that sentiment. And now while still on the topic of, of racism in America, I, I think many people have heard over and over and over about racism against African Americans. Um, with, with racist cops killing um, innocent black teens. There's been so many articles over and over that I, I'm sure you, you read about. Uh, the, the articles that you don't read about are perhaps an insidious part of the culture that seems to be now going in the opposite direction. And there's been many articles on this, the same vein. And companies like BuzzFeed seem to be one of the biggest sources of this outrage and this, this backwards sort of thinking that's really not helping anyone but just race baiting and causing outrage and I, I found one article that does this in a perfectly awful fashion that's called 37 things white people need to stop ruining in 2018 C can you believe that and so when I see pieces like this 37 things white people can stop ruining in 2018 well, the first thing I think is that this might be an opinion-based piece. They might actually just be joking. I mean, because the subtext of this is, first of all, America. Ha. Ha. Like, the, the first thing white people need to stop ruining is America. America sucks, and it's white people's fault. Ha. Right? Very funny. So it's, it's obviously somewhat satirical, and it's an opinion-based piece. But now flip this in the opposite direction for a second. Imagine you, you go on to your favorite news site and now you see an article that says 28 things black people need to stop ruining in 2018 that would be that would be nuts you'd be like oh my god what what neo nazi is writing this article if if you can replace the word white for black in your opinion pieced article and it now sounds like it's coming from the third reich you might want to rethink your opinions on the world, society, and the people around you. Some people deserve some, some actual respect. And this is not solving problems. This is creating more outrage. Articles like this are why more and more white teens and young adults 
are feeling discriminated against and put in a corner. And that's why they're starting to shift towards the alt-right, towards somewhat fascism, and why so many people voted for Donald Trump. It's things like this, where it's not, we're no longer fighting for equality. It's white people suck. Straight white men suck. That, that's sort of the, the message that the far left, the far, far left, has been pushing and pushing and pushing lately. And it's my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions that this is what led to Donald Trump winning the 2016 election, in a nutshell. By far, the biggest factor. But enough of this. Uh, let's actually read some of the complaints against white people that we can do better. Uh, the second thing they have on their list is protests. And they have a video of that that Kendall Jenner ad. If you haven't seen this, it's a completely ridiculous advertisement featuring Kendall Jenner and an army of, of people of multitude of races going in and they're being nonviolent, they're being happy, you know, as most protests are not. And they offer a Pepsi to a police officer and he sips it and everyone's happy. There's no police conflict and it's a happy, happy protest. And uh, the, the comment of this, this tweet under the Pepsi ad is, watch, apparently Kendall Jenner and Pepsi have taken over Black Lives Matter. Not kidding. Uh, the implication is that white people should not be talking about issues such as Black Lives Matter or anything outside of their own race bubble. And I find that to be ridiculous. Uh, right, and, and number six, uh, of all things that white people can ruin, is trees. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, here's another tweet. Wealthy residents have fitted trees with, quote, anti-bird spikes, end quote, in a bid to protect their expensive cars from bird droppings. Uh, I've seen these, these same anti-bird spikes in, in cities to get birds off of, of lamps and to stop them from being in high places because they don't want to clean up uh, bird poop from the sidewalks. Uh, it saves everyone a lot of work when you can keep the birds away from heavily populated areas. And to just assume blatantly that this is a white thing, oh, only white people have money, only white people are concerned about bird crap. That's utterly ridiculous as well. And if trees weren't enough for you, number seven, white people have ruined the entire United States of America. And what do they do to back this up? This is a very serious claim. White people have ruined America. Well, they, they show a stat. We elected Donald Trump. It says 70% of voters were white and the majority voted for Trump. Well, he, he did win, and people tend to vote uh, aligned with their, their race and their gender. They go with people who technically look like them. That's, that's been proven. People tend to associate with people who look like them. Does that mean we ruined America? Uh, it's been several months since this article's come out. That was in December 27, 2017, and as far as I'm aware, America is still standing. And as one other article that we're going to be talking about later tonight, we're actually about to have a conversation with North Korea, uh, potentially about denuclearization of the country. So I, I don't think the United States is ruined. Far from it. I think that people are more easily scared and more easily offended, angered, and outraged than ever before. That's what's ruined about America right now. And that's not white people's fault.
if you're going to push that narrative. Number 14 that white people have also ruined is 21 Savage's song Bank Account. And, and how did white people ruin that, I wonder. And to answer that, we have another tweet. And nothing's more uh, surefire and honest on identifying racism than a tweet. Uh, it says, 21 Savage lets fan perform, quote, bank account, end quote. Nothing else. That's, that's literally the only evidence that white people have ruined the song Bank Account because 21 Savage has the respect to let a fan perform his song. That, that's just a sign of respect and caring about your fans. Why do you care about the race of the fan? That's, that's race baiting. You, it's, this is plucking at straws to, to some of the highest degree. White people have ruined this song because the artist wants their fans to sing it. The artist doesn't care about the race. So why do you, BuzzFeed? Why do you care so much? And if that's not enough, uh, number 32, of all things, joints. Yeah, yeah, smoking marijuana in, in a joint. White people have ruined that in America. They've ruined joints, according to BuzzFeed. This is really ridiculous. They, they have a, like an image of something you might have for like a wedding. It's a little uh, prettily packaged thing, a see-through package with, with two joints, and then labeling our joint union. Ha, it's a pun. But that, that's not what I find really interesting about number 32, joints. It's that the fact that by claiming that white people have ruined joints, BuzzFeed is saying that smoking weed and drugs are a black thing. What? Like, the, it's insane how by making all of these claims, BuzzFeed is being the most racist of them all by saying, this is what black people do. You know, black, black people do drugs. What? BuzzFeed needs to take a really deep look at itself and stop the race baiting against white people and realize that the conflict that they're causing is that they are only enforcing stereotypes. That's all they're doing. Every article you see like this is trying to take stereotypes and say, this is what blank race is and no one else can have it because X race will always be like it. X race will always do joints, they'll always do drugs, and this other race is ruining it. It's utterly ridiculous. It's utterly racist on behalf of BuzzFeed, which is so ironic because the whole point of this article is to try to say that white people are racist, white people are bad. And BuzzFeed is making racist claims against black people every other bullet point on their list. Like, it's amazing that, that their editors don't see the hypocrisy behind every other article these people make. Hypocrisy, uh, to the highest degree, we have their last point, number 37, uh, and they, they call this one, and Googling, quote, things white people ruin. Now, this one's going to take a little bit of explaining, but it's worth it just for the, the sucker punch of how awful this website is. So what they did is they, they were trying to do a test on making Google ads and they looked up uh, the term white people ruin just to, to see what pops up when you type in white people ruin which is an inherently racist uh, phrase just to get that out of the water and they, they saw options like 
uh, black people ruin everything. And they were saying, well, Google is racist for having this pop up uh, as an option for what people search. Now, now if anything, uh, Google would not be the racist one here. It would potentially just be anyone searching this, but th this isn't even the worst part. The number one search is white people ruin everything with a monthly search volume of 480. And the second one is black people ruin everything with a search volume monthly of 320. So what, what are people really looking, uh, searching up most for, for racist phrases? Because they, they claim, they agree with me, that saying black people ruin everything, like that, that's a pretty racist phrase. But they're completely overlooking that the greatest search volume is white people ruin everything, which is equally as bad. And ironically, is nearly the exact same title of this article that we're reading. It's almost like it went completely over their heads. Like they, they finish off their article by saying, oh, it would be racist to say that one race is ruining everything, right? Hey, what, what, what should we title this art new article that we're doing to wrap up 2017? Oh, let's, let's title it All the Ways That White People Are Ruining Everything in America. Genius. No, it's not genius. This is, it's, it's peak hypocrisy. I don't see how they don't know that they are doing the exact same thing that they're railing about. But they find it okay because the people who they are attacking in articles like this and dozens of other, other articles that this website has, it's because they're, they're attacking white people specifically. And somehow it's seen on sites like this that if you're racist against white people, that's okay because there's more of them. They, they see it as white people are privileged, there's more white people, so it's okay to be racist against them. It's not okay to be racist against anybody. That, that's the message that Martin Luther King Jr. told us all about, to not judge by, by the color of someone's skin, but by the content of their character. And for whatever reason, BuzzFeed is still trying to figure that one out. So that, that's going to uh, wrap up our, our considerate thoughts on this very, very interesting uh, BuzzFeed article. Uh, and now we're going to move on to a very relevant event that happened recently with the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. This happened uh, February 14th of this year, 2018, in Parkland, Florida. And again, this was the Stoneman Douglas High School. Uh, there was a reported 17 deceased and an additional 17 wounded. This puts this shooting as one of the world's deadliest school shootings. Now, with this, there's been many interviews with students on the news and the biggest question is there's been so many shootings what action needs to be done what can be done to prevent this in the future now there's there's been an uproar from the students in particular saying that their senators need to do something and you keep hearing that we need to do something and what what is it that the students say we need to do well if you ask them then you'll find that many of them promote stronger gun control, more gun regulation. And what kind of gun re regulation uh, do people have in mind? Well, the biggest one seems to be uh, the banning of the AR-15 rifle. This was the rifle that was used in this shooting and many prominent shootings over the last couple of years. I'm going to go over some of them and you, you probably will recognize some of these. In 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. 
also in 2012, the Aurora shooting, in 2015, the San Bernardino attack, 2017, the Sutherland Springs church shooting, 2017, Las Vegas shooting, and uh, the 2018, the one we're talking about right now, the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Um, and you'll, you'll find at uh, the New York Times in, in 2010, uh, AR-15 style rifles have become one of the, quote, most beloved and most vilified rifles, end quote, in the United States. I think that's the New York Times saying that. The NRA calls it, quote, America's rifle, end quote. And as we said, uh, it's been in many mass shootings in the United States, one of the most prominent assault weapons in the United States. In many states and jurisdictions, that this rifle is considered an assault weapon. Uh, the federal assault weapons ban restricted the Colt AR-15 and other forms, although it did not affect rifles with fewer features, uh, which left the AR-15 style rifles open for purchase outside of this jurisdiction. One very important distinction of this rifle, as opposed to military-style rifles, is that this is, it's not fully automatic. Uh, an automatic rifle is where you would hold down the trigger and you'd have a spray of bullets. Um, but the civilian-style rifle, which is the one that you would be able to purchase right now, um, each time you pull the trigger, one round fires off. That is the, the kind of gun that we are currently talking about. And something of particular interest with the AR-15 is its use in the Port Arthur Massacre. It was the worst single-person shooting incident in Australian history. And this shooting led into the infamous National Firearms Program Implementation Act of 1996. And this is the, the big act which caused um, uh, the country's citizens to to hand in their guns, any any semi-automatic rifles, with a capacity of more than, than five rounds. So any, anything that could hold more than, than five bullets, any semi-automatic rifle with more than five bullets, you had to hand that in to the government. You had to give that up. And there's many people now who are saying that we need to mimic Australia's, Australia's model for restriction of guns. We just need to collect all guns with a capacity of more than, than five rounds, and that'll solve our problems. Or at the very least, they see it as a good place to start on solving this, this epidemic of shootings in the country. And I think first off, we should break down uh, the claim that the banning of, of higher capacity um, semi-automatic weapons uh, assisted to declining homicide rates in Australia. And uh, to look at that, we have a graph provided from the Australian Institute of Criminology. Um, and they have a graph titled Weapon Use and Homicide from 1995 to 2013, Number of Incidents. And they break it down by firearm, by knife, by other weapon, and by no weapon. Um, in 1995, uh, the incidents reported for that year, 59 by firearm. That, when you go up to 1996, it jumps to 98 now that is the highest seen by by firearm because of the shooting that we just we just talked about the Port Arthur massacre which led uh, to the lobbying passed of collecting such firearms 
and the year after that, in 1997, you have 75 uh, incidents of homicide by, by firearms, which is still higher than, than before with the ban. It's, it's still higher than, than 59. Not, not as high as the one including that massacre, but it's still higher. But it, it's de declining since the massacre, so let's see if there's a trending effect. And the year after that, 1998, it was down to 54. It jumps up, 1999 to 61, and uh, it goes up and down past that point. We have graph going all the way to 2013, where the latest is 47. But when you compare the latest, years after this ban, 47 homicides by firearms. Let's go to the year right before this happened, 59. That, that's not a huge drop. And from, from the looks of this graph, it looks like the trend of declining assaults and uh, declining homicides, my bad, by firearms, it seems pretty consistent. I can't see visually a major effect that was caused by this bill if the goal was to re reduce homicides. They, they do have the benefit of saying that there were no mass shooting incidents since that ban. And if that was the goal, if that was the only goal, then it may have had an effect. But if it was to overall uh, reduce homicides by firearms, it did not do that. And you, you can look at, at this graph. It's from the Australian Institute of Criminology. Weapons used in homicide, 1995 to 2013, number of incidents. You can find it yourself. You can pull over this. You can come up with your own opinion. What I do find interesting is after the ban was passed on the same graph is homicides with no weapon spike sporadically. It, in uh, the, the year before the ban, 108 homicides, no weapon. Year of the ban, 71. And then over the next couple of years, it jumps up to 124 homicides. A couple of years later, 151 homicides. That's in 2002. And then it starts to decline at, at a gradual rate. But, but it's interesting. They, they, they ban the firearms and homicides spike up in, in other categories. Fortunately, though, uh, after 2002, it seems like there was a, a general decline in homicides over time. Perhaps unrelated to the ban, but I, I worry that if the AR-15 rifle is banned, say that that, that does happen, that you won't actually see uh, an overall decline in, in homicides by, by firearms. And the AR-15, while it is the, the number one firearm used for mass shootings so far, it's not the most common firearm used for homicides in the United States. That gun that is used for the most homicides would be the handgun. It's the most concealable. Um, and you would just be able to pull it out and shoot someone. This, this is most common in inner city Chicago. Uh, and with, with gang violence, the handgun is easy to get, easy to conceal, easy to shoot. Whereas an assault rifle is bulky, it's harder to hide. And uh, we do have some data. Uh, this is provided from CNN and it's called Handgun Homicides in the United States. 
um, and they, they have a subtitle saying, The gun control debate is focused on assault rifles, but in many states, handguns are responsible for far more deaths. Uh, they organize, you can organize by a uh, number of homicides, by percentage, or just organize by states. Um, I guess we're going to look at the ones with the most homicides via guns. Just via guns, alright? So California uh, has had the most uh, in the last year. 866 uh, homicides from guns, and 71% of those were by handgun. We go by Texas, um, second most number of homicides, 497, 71% were by handguns. You can keep going. New York, 89% by handguns. Pennsylvania, 81% were handguns. Louisiana, 93% were handguns. 97% Illinois. Georgia, 88%. Michigan, 59%. Maryland, 96%. That, that's almost all homicides in that state. 96%. And you, you can go on. And for most of these states, for a majority of states, for a majority of homicides, handgun deaths. For, for the same reasons that we were just talking about. Does this mean that assault rifles are not dangerous? No. No, I... I disagree. I do think assault rifles are dangerous. But when you're talking about banning, like doing a ban on a gun, I, I think that people need to be more aware of what guns are actually dangerous, of where deaths are happening, what are, what are the causes, who's buying these, and, and what are the parameters behind this. Is, it, is this the only gun that you want to ban, just the AR-15? It's a semi-automatic gun. It's not automatic. Um, hunting, other hunting rifles are also semi-automatic, can hold several rounds. So I'm, I'm just curious, where, where's the limit? Where do you draw a line between perhaps a hunting rifle and a rifle that you consider dangerous? And I haven't heard a good distinction between the two. It's just been unclear with people who are saying, well, we need to get these, these dangerous um, guns away from people who might cause mass shooting. Well, I just want to know. Where do you draw the line? That, that's the question I want answered. And I, I think anyone listening should, should think about that. At what point would you draw the line on this? What guns do you see dangerous and why? I think in, in this debate, that needs to be the question most heavily addressed. Instead of just focusing on one gun, and then the next time there's a shooting, maybe it's a different gun, just ban that one in order. No, there, there needs to be set rules. If you're going to have restrictions on guns in general, well, there needs to be set rules. And right now, people are, are being very iffy. It's, well, this one gun, the Air 15 rifle, has been involved in some mass shootings, so we'll just ban that one. Why? Well, I, I fear that people are just going to pick up a, a different gun, and you're just going to go in order and, and try to ban all, all guns in succession. It just this needs to be something that's that's thought about. What aspects of, of guns are dangerous, are the most dangerous, and the most viable in mass shootings, if that's what we're trying to prevent more than anything else, mass shootings. And what can we do to prevent that legally? And is banning certain guns the best way to prevent this? Uh, another law that was being passed by Florida uh, was was the idea of moving the buying age of, of guns from 18 to 21. 
And I, I was just reading the other day that the NRA is now suing the state of Florida for violating the Second and Fourteenth Amendment uh, on this bill. Very interesting. Um, uh, Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, obviously. Uh, they're seeing violations because you're barring a certain class of adults, people who are 18, from purchasing firearms. And the, the 14th Amendment, particularly the Equal Protection Clause, granting citizens equal protection under the law. And the NRA is finding that this age restriction uh, is violating both of those amendments, like given the clauses provided. So I guess it is to be seen. Uh, how that law will fare up, given uh, those complaints provided by the the NRA and, and constitutional rights violations uh, potentially with this bill. Now, the, the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting is a tragedy for this entire country, and people are, are struggling to find an appropriate response. Legislators are trying to figure out how to stay in office given this tragedy. People are trying to figure out, like honest citizens are trying to figure out, how can we stop this from happening again? It's, for me, it's gotten ridiculous how it's almost no longer a surprise when you open the news and you, you see that another shooting happened. This has become such a, a frequent event. And it, it shouldn't be that way. I think most Americans will agree that these things are, are becoming far too frequent. And far too often you'll, you'll see this as a major headline in the news, that there was another mass shooting. So we're all trying to look for a response. And it's hard. It's hard for America. And it's hard for policy for determining a way that's that's actually going to fix these things. I, I can only ask that, that we look at these things with an open mind and an honest discussion on how we can honestly improve America for the better in preserving our freedoms and preserving the lives of those most precious to our nation's future. And given all that, um, I think we'd like to wrap up this podcast session tonight with a discussion on uh, the future of our relations with North Korea. Now, it's come to our nation's attention that North Korea has released a letter to South Korea to be delivered to the United States that they are looking into the possibility of open uh, opening discussions with, with us, with the United States. And this is particularly interesting in terms of the potential of denuclearization of the country and pushing for a pathway to that. That would that would be the ideal to to defuse a potential threat to the United States. And what some people have brought up, um, I believe legitimately, is that this is all just part of a long-term scheme from North Korea to get a seat at the table that they, they ignore our pleas, they ignore anyone's um, request for them to not be a nuclear country. They'll starve their people, they'll ignore our sanctions and just let the people die so that they can continue to, to push for nuclear power, to push for missiles that can potentially hit the United States 
And once they get that power, that they use that as leverage to get a seat at the table. People have been talking about that potential for years now. That, that's been a concern. That they're so small and they're, they're so insignificant that they would just push for nuclear arms and then just use that as leverage. And that, that could be very possible. So that needs to be uh, like, like a prime concern when we're, if and when we are doing negotiations. But what I find almost most impressive about this whole thing is that, that this is even happening at all. That we're, we're actually getting a negotiations after, after the conversations we've been having. It's almost like, like Teddy Roosevelt speaks softly and carry a big stick. Uh, we, we haven't necessarily been, been speaking too softly. But we, we've been brandishing a big, big stick. Like you, you can look at quotes from Trump regarding North Korea recently that, that we will rain fire and fury uh, upon their country if, if they keep escalating things. Like that, that, there's very few ways to interpret that. That's, that's the biggest stick of all. That, that if they threaten us or they shoot anything our way, that we will do the exact same thing to their country. And then we, we can at least aim our missiles. Like, that, that's for sure. I, I saw an article um, a couple weeks back of, of North Korea attempting a missile launch, and it, it dropped in their own country. They weren't even able to get it out into the ocean. That It just landed in their own country and detonated inside of that. Like, this country does not have very successful technology. I, I believe that they're just putting together scraps of what they can, just trying to get anything nuclear, anything to, to try to get influence, to try to be seen as powerful, to try to get a seat at the, the table. Kim Jong-un is, is just starving his people. So say we do get these talks. Well, what should be seen as important on both sides? Well, North Korea obviously wants to be protected. That, that's been the number one thing that they've been talking about for some time, that they, they don't want to be threatened by other nations. Now, what, what could that entail? Oh, one, one can predict that in, in some sort of end goal, an end treaty, if we actually get to one, that sanctions might be either dropped or diminished, that North Korea will either reduce their nuclear program or stop it altogether. I think that many U.S. legislators, um, there, there's been several Republicans that have been imploring Trump to not really accept any deal, unless it's a deal that's to stop all further nuclear programs, to just completely denuclearize the country. Now, will North Korea agree to that? I'm not so sure. It seems like they'd only agree to a plan that ensures their, quote, protection. And Kim Jong-un is seeing nukes as a protection, or at the very least, the biggest bargaining ship they could ever hope to have. Uh, if I were to make any sort of prediction of where such a meeting would be, uh, I'd likely put it on either the, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between North Korea and South Korea, or in some part of international waters. Uh, the reason for this is because I can't think of any way that Kim Jong-un would agree to be in the United States um, or that Trump would agree to be within North Korea because both are looking for personal safety 
and neither want to be in a position where their safety could be uh, severely compromised. And that would most likely be in the other leader's country. So I would argue the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea or international waters. Like those are my top two guesses. But I'd say at the, the end of all this, <clears throat> regardless of where any meeting does take place, the question is, what's going to happen? Uh, what, what is North Korea going to ask for? And what are we going to ask for? Well, um, there's been similar talks in the past, and the pattern that we see, North Korea asks for protection. They ask for, uh, maybe they'll ask for uh, reduced sanctions. So they'll ask for a, a loosening of, of the knot around their neck. And you do that, and they promise to remove or reduce their nuclear program, and what happens? They don't. They'll lie, and they'll increase their, their nuclear research, increase their, their nuclear program, and then we just, be, we just are cheated in any deals that have ever gone with this dictatorship. So I am personally open to any talks, but I would be very wary of any deal that would end in North Korea saying that they're removing their nuclear stocks or reducing their programs. That does not involve something similar to the Iran deal, which involves us uh, looking into their stocks and seeing that they are actually actively reducing or removing these tests or removing uh, the, this nuclear arsenal that they're attempting to build. Would North Korea agree to that? I, I doubt it. Which is why I'm all for the idea of these talks, but I'm extremely skeptical, extremely skeptical that there will be a productive or long-lasting solution. And, and if there is, uh, props to both countries. That would be one of the biggest peace breakthroughs of, of maybe the, the last couple decades. But we'll see. And what can we be optimistic about the future? Pessimism has no real place for, for our world. You, you have to be hopeful. You have to look that things could get better. And we can only hope that with these talks, that there will hopefully finally be some resemblance of peace between these countries that we've been looking for for decades now. And we will be looking into this topic and more over the next couple weeks. And we hope that you too, the listeners, will be gaining a broader insight on the world around you and be vigilant and looking into topics on your own. Until next time, this is Alex from Looking In, signing off.